It is indeed good to be back in St. Simons after a few days away in Highlands. I ran into a couple of you, in fact, up there. And uh, it was a joy to be able to know that the church has a wide berth bigger than the island itself. And I'm grateful for the well wishes and also the leave to let, uh, let me go and serve this family foundation I also work for in Jacksonville. Thank you also to Pastor Danny Grace for filling the pulpit, a friend to many. I understand some of you went to high school with him or school with him and have known him in the past. And so that was a, a nice way for homecoming together. This morning's text comes to us as uh, really a continuation of the passage that I read and preached from two weeks ago, uh, a passage about the sower who threw the seeds among all the different types of soil. It's really in the same vein that this morning's passage comes. Same chapter, same conversation Jesus is having with his disciples and with us. Hear now the word as it comes to us from Matthew 13, verses 24 through 35 and 44 through 52. So Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you were pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles and to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it to my barn, otherwise known as the parable of the wheat and the tares. The parable of the mustard seed and the yeast follow. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. And another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what, the, what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter all things hidden since the creation of the world. Now, verse 44, continuing. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it and bought with it what he had earned. 
And once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. And when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up to the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. This is the word of the Lord. I've been looking for the kingdom of heaven lately. Have you? I'm not talking about the kingdom of heaven pie in the sky kind of place we hope we will discover when we die. Instead, I'm, uh, what I'm looking for, I think, is, is not that. And I don't think Matthew means that kind of kingdom of heaven. What Matthew means is the kingdom of God. Matthew uses kingdom of heaven because Matthew being probably the most law-abiding of the gospels, gospel writers, did not like to use the name God, as did most Jews. So instead, he used the word heaven. Mark and Luke say kingdom of God. Matthew says kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm not talking about heaven in the sky, nor am I talking about an actual earthly kingdom kind of place either, like in the old days when the kings reigned and emperors ruled, claiming to be God-inspired. They ruled everything else and everybody and had their heads chopped off if the people didn't obey, like in the Game of Thrones or as some leaders today who think they are kings, like Putin in Russia or Xi in China or Netanyahu in Israel these days, and a few closer to home who will go without naming. <laughs> no, the kingdom of heaven I'm looking for has nothing to do with what happens when we die, life after death, nor is it about politics real politics and strong men and power. Maybe there was a time in Israel when that was true. King Saul was the first Saul of Israel, excuse me, the first king of Israel, and then following him came David. David, King David, the first Messiah. Everything under King David worked except for a few minor casualties. You can read the text. When David was king, Israel was a kingdom. God didn't really want Israel to be a kingdom, but God consented because all the people begged and begged and begged. Everybody else has a king, can't we have one too? And God said, sure, you can have a king if that's the kind of kingdom you want, but it's not going to be what you think because the king you're going to have is going is to draft all your sons and tax all your money 
and do everything else to make sure that the kingdom thrives while you maybe don't. And those sons, they'll get killed in war. And a lot of money that I'm going to tax is going to go to keep war going. God said that's what kings are going to do. And there was King David at the top, Israel at the top. But 100, 200, 300 years later, the Babylonians swept in and, and ended all of that kingdomness. And Israel never really had much of a king after that, even though all they could do was to wait with all their power and energy and to look and look and look for the kingdom to come again, for the king, the Messiah, to come again, just like King David. And this is the culture and hope and expectation that Jesus stepped in when he came on the scene to be baptized by John the Baptist and began his ministry. The Roman Empire ruled. The Jews were waiting for the second coming of David to set them free and to make of them again a great kingdom. This same kind of expectation that Jesus will come again and build the new Jerusalem, by the way, has not gone from history, especially in more fundamentalist and evangelical churches. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, many of them hope and pray that Jesus will come back immediately and return, like in the book of Revelation, riding on a white horse to do battle against all the other dark powers and evil, and with a great cosmic battle defeat the evil kingdoms and empires so that God's kingdom will once again come on earth as it is in heaven. And those who deserve to be in the kingdom will be raptured, and those who don't will be thrown into the fires of hell. So even 2,000 years later, which is a long time to wait for an apocalyptic event for Jesus to come again, 2,000 years. Some religious leaders make good money and build big church buildings based on this convincing others to believe that Jesus is going to show up any day and start the apocalypse and burn it all down. There seems to be a contradiction there. Let's build another church so that Jesus can come quickly and burn it down. I'm not talking about a military, political kingdom that's going to come and change everything. And if it's that kind of kingdom we're waiting for, don't hold your breath. Now, the kingdom I'm talking about is not what comes at the end of life, but what comes to bring life kingdom that brings life now even now and this is the kind of kingdom that Matthew is talking about when he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand this is the kind of kingdom John the Baptist proclaimed when he said the kingdom of heaven has come near this is the kind of kingdom Jesus says when he says the kingdom of heaven has drawn near it is at hand. It is as close, as close enough that we can reach out and grab it almost, not hold it, but grab hold of it at least for a microsecond. And for the rest of his life, Jesus went about proclaiming the good news 
of the kingdom of God in his teaching and preaching and healing of those who were afflicted with every kind of disease and the proclamation of that kingdom included every single person, especially the last and the lost and the least and the lonely. Those who were not allowed anywhere near the kingdom, the righteous kingdom of the religious authorities. Just as Jesus, in his first real sermon, climbs the mount in Matthew and begins, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the kind of kingdom of heaven I'm looking for now. I'm looking for this more and more. Can you help me? Can you help me find it? Maybe we should start by changing the language. Kings have a bad rap these days. Maybe a better word for kingdom would be kingdom. Theologians today like to use kingdom instead of kingdom because of its top-down, power-hungry uh, kind of uh, reality to remind us of the evils of what that kind of top-down power is all about. So they like kingdom, which takes the hierarchy out of it and, and, and lets us know that, that we are all in kinship with each other, uh, all in, regardless of gender or location or personality, it's all that neutral. And it points us uh, as one in kinship with God and kinship with each other, and kinship with all creation. It, it, the kingdom of God. And I like that, but I don't love it. It's a little touchy-feely. It's a little too woke, you know what I mean. <laughs> and I hate to like woke on woke, but um, there are levels of wokeness. <laughs> kingdom I don't know. Maybe a better word today would be realm or reign of heaven or, or God. But that kind of means kingdom to Maybe the best word for it is condition. The condition of heaven, the condition of God, or maybe the experience of heaven or the experience of God. Though God and heaven can be present even though we don't experience it and condition kind of like I don't know that limits things what is it Jesus says it is like but he never says what it is I can remember my first experience of experiencing this kingdom experience or kingdom condition or kingdom reign I was in young life I was 15 I'd gone to Young Life Camp in the mountains at Windy Gap and through these wonderful counselors and this process of Bible study and prayer and so forth, I had this amazing, loving, and warm experience of accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I was 15. Is this what it meant when, when he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand here? I mean, it felt that for me, 
It was life-changing in a way I didn't expect. And if it's at hand, I should have just stayed up there on Windy Gap Mountain because when I came down, the steaminess of everyday life as a 15-year-old, like girls and sports and school, started to evaporate the fog of Jesus' kingdom that I experienced when I was up there. And looking back on it, as life-changing and wonderful as it was, I think what I discovered was that we don't ever find it once. It's never just a once event. The realm of God's kingdom is a constant process as much a lifetime experience of seeking and learning and growing to become more like Jesus every single day. Not a place, because God's kingdom is everywhere. Not a time, because God's time is beyond time. It's kairos time, not chronos time. It's, it was, it is, it ever shall be. You can't pin it down to time and place. It's the kingdom. And the kingdom is like. So as you can tell, I'm looking for something that's not easy to define. <laughs> and even harder to find. It's bigger even than the universe. I commend to you a documentary about the Webb telescope that we are now enjoying uh, as it sends back the infrared pictures. It's on Netflix. It's about how it, how it happened and how it got started. And it turns out that the head of the program was a Swedish man named Dr. Z, they call him, whose father was a fundamentalist pastor in Sweden who told he and his family that God created the world in seven 24-hour days. And his son ends up becoming the head of the Webb telescope process that now shows us it was more like 13.8 billion years ago. I love that. Because what he's doing is, in a way, he's trying to justify his father's faith while also justifying the facts of science. So it wasn't seven days. It was for God maybe like seven days, but for us it was 13.8 billion years. And he sits in that comfortably, and as he sits in that, I get from him in the sitting of that what the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus says, when someone sowed good seed in his field one day, and then that night an evil person came and, and threw a bunch of wildflower seeds out so that the plants came up with the weeds and they were all mixed and then the farmhands showed up and said you want us to start weeding the beds Jesus told them to chill out because sometimes it's hard to tell the wheat from the chaff the good from the bad besides we have both in us some things look good, but not may be bad, and some things look bad, but might in fact look good. And the only way to know is to let God figure out who is what and what is what at the end of things. I'm looking for a kingdom 
of heaven like that. I'm looking for something so small it could get lost down in the tiny hole in our pockets. But if you plant it and fertilize it, it grows up to become a tree so huge it will host a roost of birds. I'm looking for something like that. Or, or like a woman who throws a handful of yeast in, did it say 60 pounds of flour? That's a lot of flour. Just a little handful of yeast into 60 pounds of flour. And, and it turns into loaves of bread so plump and delicious you think you're, going, you're in Paris, France. And not Israel, where they don't have flour in the bread, only flat. No yeast, for sure. They do have flour, sorry. Or like a field of treasure buried somewhere that is so valuable that when you find it, you sell everything you own to, to go have the treasure which you buried in that field when you found it. Everything you're willing to sell. Kingdom of heaven is like that. Or like a fine pearl stuck in some old funky oyster at the bottom of the sea. It may take a gazillion oysters to crack before you can find a pearl like that. So, I need help. I need your help. Because I can't find it by myself. Oh, okay. I know what you said. Go look in the Bible. For sure, that's it. Go look in the Bible, and the Bible, especially the Gospels, that will, that, they will reveal to you the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and the, and the realm you're looking for, just go find it in, in the Bible. Yes, the Bible, the word of God, surely, yes, we can find it there. Only to be honest, the more I read the Bible, sometimes the more lost and confounded I get. It's complicated. You get lost wandering around in all those begats and even the contradictions, and it leaves me feeling lost in the wilderness for 40 years. I have to say, I don't think that the Bible is the kingdom of, Herod, of, of heaven, nor is it the buried treasure itself, but I think instead it is that which gives us witness, the, the directions pointing us to it, like a map from the people of God who were looking for the same thing we are and even sometimes finding it enough to print out the directions and tell the story of it. That's what the Bible is, but not the thing itself. And Jesus comes along claiming, by the way, that the very living human presence of God's realm is with us and, 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 and before us and, and present incarnate and he surprises us by saying, on the one hand, I am that presence. And on the other hand, saying, I am not that presence. But what you were looking for, I came to give witness to, to reveal. You were looking for God and God's kingdom. And it looks like my way, the way I do things, the way I am, my relationship to God and each other, that's where you will find it. And it doesn't come through the brain or priests or a text or a church. It only comes through being in relationship with God, me, and each other. It only comes relationally. Hmm. 
So God comes relationally in Christ. Hmm. And Jesus says that finding it is as simple as just opening your eyes and your ears. And also as complicated as turning everything we know upside down and inside out like only the strong survive, yeah. Like winning is for winners. Uh Like conquer before being conquered. Like the golden rule, those who have the gold make the rule. Jesus turns all of that upside down and inside out. And all we think we know about how the world works is turned upside down and inside out completely when we see that the king of kings the word of god the very incarnate presence of god the power almighty of god ends up on a cross upside down it does i'm just being honest here i'm knowing this is i'm knowing i'm knowing I, i'm knowing i'm talking generally but I'm dealing with my own specific search. Especially when Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow. And I gotta say, sometimes I don't have, you don't have, we don't have a choice. We have a cross to bear, it comes to us. But I gotta tell you, I'm not like walking around looking for crosses to pick up. Good night, there's enough. Okay, okay, some will say it's the church. We can find the kingdom of heaven in the church. This is where it is. is. And that whole idea grew up after Jesus did not come again when they expected him to come any day, and the church began to grow and flourish. And as it began to grow and flourish, by the 4th century with Constantine, it even had power. And Constantine then ruled that the church was now the kingdom of heaven. And he made the kingdom, the church, and the realm of Constantine's rule, all one. But looking back on that, we can now see that that was the beginning of turning the church into nothing but an idol. No different than any other political kingdom. Not the kingdom of heaven. God's present here, just as God is present there. And we are, we are called to be here in order to learn how we can be more present there too. But the church is the kingdom of heaven. Maybe, maybe this is why people, early people in those days, before, before a lot had happened, maybe in the first century, those, those people who followed Jesus called themselves people on the way. Not people who had found it or who knew it who are it but people on the way. They were becoming on the way toward the kingdom as they remained humble seekers and searchers, more full of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the Bible says, than full of assurance. When the church is full of seekers, I think, and not knowers, then yes, the church can reveal the very thing that we are looking for. I don't know. I don't know. But I believe. And this is the presence of God 
even though as anyone who has ever sat on a session or sat in on a Southern Baptist convention will learn, it's kind of hard to separate the wheat from the tares when it comes to knowing good from evil at those meetings. It's supposed to be a joke. <laughs> so help me, where can I find this kingdom of heaven? This this realm that Jesus came to proclaim in a way that just says it is like now but not yet. I actually caught a glimpse of it this past Friday. I was sitting with a young couple um, whose marriage is in February that I'm officiating and they are so good and responsible and they want to do, the, they're earnest and they want to do the right thing by everyone. They, they don't want their families to spend too much money on the wedding. Can you believe it? But they want all of their family and friends to be a part of it. They have made good plans and, and, and they do hard work and they have plans for children and for raising a good family and they're taking their lives seriously and responsibly. They're just good to the bone. Then near the end of the conversation, sitting there with a latte, the groom cleared his throat and said, Pastor, I've really never been religious much. My parents, who are now divorced, took us to church on Easter and, and Christmas. However, the older I get, the, the, the more curious I am about God. Like you're missing something, I ask? Like you're hungry for something, you're searching for something, but can't find? I ask. Yeah, exactly, that's it. I'm, I'm searching, I'm hungry for something, but I can't find anything that fills that hunger. It's, it's God, I guess. Do you have any books I can read that will help me learn what this is about and to grow? All of a sudden, a thousand books flashed through my brain. And also, the time when I probably would have said, well, read the Bible. It's a good starting point. And after my young life experience, I might have said, Jesus is what you were hungry for. And as the Bible says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. Therefore, let's pray now that you will accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But I intuitively knew that would have been counterproductive. Because I don't think he was asking for that. He was asking to be in a relationship with me as we began the search together for God. I, may, I should have done it. I don't know. I'm a preacher. I should have probably, I don't know. It's just complicated. It's a search. Because whatever Jesus we think we have found at any particular given time it will inevitably turn out to be made in our own image this Jesus and Jesus will turn it upside down so that we are back in a relationship with God in a way where we do not know but we trust and believe even still. 
So at the time, I felt like the most honest thing I could say was, I know how you're feeling, hungry and, and, and searching, and the good news is that what you were hungry and searching for is there is nothing in this world that can fill it, and that you are on your way to discovering what your hungriness is about. And I want to tell you that I think it's about God, the infinite and eternal. And even though we're human and finite and mortal, we can't really understand that God unless God reveals God to us. But the search is how it starts. And if you're willing to follow your hunger and longing, I will walk with you along the way and share my hunger and longing too. And so will Jesus, I said. Oh, for a closer walk with him. So will Jesus, because Jesus is the one who said to us, come unto me, all you who are hungry, lost, searching, longing, and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you peace, the kingdom of heaven. We ended there with that. And he wanted to keep searching. And at that moment, I knew that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Let us pray. Oh God, thank you for instilling in us a heart that is God-shaped and a thirst for you that we can never quench. In Christ's name, amen.